live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so really so glad you tuned in today to the show. We appreciate that, and hope you can tune in each Sunday morning at 9 o'clock for We Are Just Christians. As you may know, if you've listened to the show before, We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you the, the numbers or contact information, how to reach us. We'd be glad to have you call us today or get in touch with us and, and have a conversation with us about spiritual things. But we do appreciate you listening. hope that you can stay with us for the next hour. We'll probably be talking about several different subjects, depending on not only who calls, but you know whatever is on our minds. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And my partner, as usual, is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Doing good. good. Yeah, good. Whenever we can be here, we're happy because you never know. <laughs> and, and it's a live show. So it's not like, uh, you know, and sometimes we're, sometimes we're recorded. But most of the time, we're, we're, we're a live show. So things happen on live shows. That's part of it. So you were talking about this morning a guy that was only 57 years old and playing what was it softball soccer or something and yes. uh, fell and, and died on the spot you know you never know when you're not going to be here yeah a young man plans playing softball owned a business that i go to and support in jensen beach and uh, i found out why the business closed he was involved in a collision on playing softball and broke his neck and died and so it's kind of shocking when you yeah. hear things like that, it's kind of sudden and very, very, very tragic. So also tells believe. you something about me too that I consider a 57-year-old young. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> but that isn't very, that isn't very old. <laughs> you certainly, I guarantee you, he wasn't expecting to die, especially playing softball at 57. No one is, which is, of course, one of the reasons, as Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord in Second Corinthians 10, we persuade men because there is coming a judgment day for all of us and so forth. You know, Gary, uh, I, I'll tell the story and then I'll give you the numbers. No, I'll give you the numbers <laughs> and I'll tell the story. You can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. You can reach us and, and you that'll take you to, to Ray there at the station. He'll patch you through to us. We're doing this show through Skype and we'll be able to have a conversation. So you can stay on the air as long as you'd like to with us and talk, we'll be glad to. It's not a, it's not about confrontation, even if we disagree. We'll give you the last word. We want to hear what you have to say. So you can ask your questions whether you think we're going to agree or not. Uh, you can ask your, make your comments whether you think we'll agree, and we'll give you a chance to respond. We'll try to give you a scriptural answer, something from the Bible that you can take with you and look at, because that's the, the basic purpose or function of the show is to point people to the scripture. So you can reach us at 772-340-1590. Or you can text me and Gary. My text number is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. Gary's is very similar, 772-260-6220. And you can text us not only during the show today, but anytime during the week. And we'll do our best to respond to you. So in any event, that's uh, how you reach us. We'd be glad to hear from you. It makes the show much more interesting. So give us a call today, and we can talk about anything that's on your mind, spiritual, whether you think it's political that relates to the spiritual, whether it's a personal thing, whether you've got a, something that's happened to you in the area of religion or the church that you'd like to talk about or even to uh, say uh, you have a complaint about. We'd be glad to hear that, hear that. So give us a call. You don't have to be a believer to call this show at all. Well, anyway, Gary, what I was going to say, uh, speaking about su sudden death, and, and I probably have said this some recently, but <clears throat> it maybe it bears repeating, is that I hear people say all the time when, I, when, when uh, you talk about maybe somebody falls over dead with a heart attack or something like that, or, oh, that's the way I want to go, they'll say, quick and neat, quick, easy. And I, I, I'm standing there, as a minister of, of close, close to 50 years, shaking my head, no, 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 no. Because I've seen this over and over again. I've seen, I, and I know this to be true, that dying suddenly is sometimes what happens, obviously. It's not optimal because, number one, the person who died may not be ready to die. 
most likely they're not ready to die. They're not they haven't got their affairs in order. They need to say things to some people that they haven't said yet. They need to clear th- some things up that they haven't cleared up yet. They need to make things right with God sometimes, become a Christian. And they haven't done that or or, or uh, change their mind, repent before they die. They need to do those things. Well, because what's then, awaiting is the judgment day. And they have no time to do that. So it's very disturbing. Well, and then there's a case like Hezekiah. You know, God might change his mind. God, God could change his mind. That's right. You're going to die. But even even though he had, even there, he had a chance to prepare because God told him he was going to die. He had a chance to prepare. And so so that's bad. And then, and then um, secondly, it's very difficult when you die suddenly. You wish, a, you know, you wish you'd die suddenly. But when you die suddenly, oh, yeah, maybe you're, maybe you don't have to suffer with cancer for a year or something. But still in the end, um, the, the people left behind suffer more when you die suddenly. When, when someone's sick and dying over a period of time, even if it's a few days, your mind and heart have a chance to get used to that. And sometimes you're able to see that the death is probably preferable to the life. And so you can come to grips with it. And, but the family left with a sudden death is devastated, and it takes years to recover. More often than not, it takes years. Some people, especially like in the case of suicide or a child, Gary, they never recover from that. Some people are devastated, and they don't even recover partially well at all from those sudden deaths. And so I hope that I die uh, with some warning, giving myself a chance to make things right, giving my family a chance to say things they want to say to me, and uh, not die just suddenly one day. I think that's a very difficult kind of death for people to come to grips with. Um, and I think that's true, Mike. My own experience, my, my mother was was sick for months before she passed away, and we were back home with her, and I was we were helping take care of her and faced that. And But some years later, my father died, and he died very suddenly. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you, his death was harder on Much me. harder on you. Sure. You, you you do all your grieving suddenly, unannounced, after the fact, and you can't change anything about it. Whereas if you know that it might happen and you prepare yourself emotionally, when the time comes, it's still painful, of course. But I think it's able you're able to adjust to it. Um, I, I just I, I cringe personally. Now, this is personal. It's not really something I can read in the Bible, but. When I hear people say, oh, I don't want to be sick and linger, and he, he would prefer it that way to die suddenly. Now, nah, maybe he would. But, you know, I have to tell you, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you having to humble yourself and be sick for a while and be taken care of by somebody before you die. I know you're a big, strong man, blah, 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 and all that stuff. But there's nothing wrong spiritually with you having to become dependent on somebody, even if it's for a week. And let them take care of you and show love to you and even put them in that position and, and humble yourself to be weakened. Getting old is, a, is that slow process of losing abilities that you had when you were younger. It's a humili. Getting old, Gary, you know this at least as well as me, is a humiliating kind of experience to a degree. Yes. Humiliating may be the, a strong word, but there is something hu- humbling and humiliating about it. And and uh, that we have to come to grips with. And you know what? Truthfully, although I hate every minute of it almost, it isn't bad for me. Okay, it's not spiritually harmful to me. It's probably better for me. And and so, and anyway, and same thing is true with being sick and dying. But I don't know how we got off on that, except this fellow died suddenly, and <laughs> I was surprised by that. It, but it does bring us to the point that we. Why we do a radio show like this, Gary, is because the judgment day is there for everybody looming. All yes. will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, to receive the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And he, he says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, which means even those, I think this includes those who do not believe, it's, it's going to happen to everyone. Exactly. And therefore, it's something that we should uh, think about and prepare for, and that's part of this. That's part of this um, 
Now, if you want to bring in the politics part of it, here's, here's something else to think about. That view of an impending judgment before God where we have to give account for even every idle word that we speak has a bearing on how our society lives. We, we're experiencing some terrible, apparently, I think it's more because we know what's going on sometimes in some cases, but the crime that we see about us in the news today is, is so much worse. Uh, you know, I just saw a video of, of people trying to steal a woman's watch and they actually ran her down with their car yeah. and knocked her down. And finally she threw the watch on the, on the pavement and they grabbed it and left. I and mean, this is this, not because of being underprivileged or being poor. Right. This is because of the viciousness of character. Well, it's because nobody, so no, nobody is punished. In other words, if they get caught, they go to jail in California. This was in California. Apparently, they go to jail, and the next day they're out without even having to post a cash bond. Right. And so, and so there's no consequences. Right. And if we understood the judgment and you, of God, and you couple that with the feeling that I haven't, I have a right to take other people's stuff because I've right. been, I've been uh, uh, taken advantage of, or I've been oppressed. Now you have this whole scenario. And everybody in our society, I don't care even what color, doesn't matter. I'm not even talking about color right now. I'm talking about just the privilege, the fact that my rights are superior to everybody else's, and I deserve what I get. I blame McDonald's. <laughs> you deserve a break today. today. <laughs> and I just can't get over that. I mean, you know, that was her old slogan. Some of you are too old, right. young to remember that. But uh, do you really deserve a break? What do we deserve, Gary? And that's the whole thing. Well, I do. You deserve this. You deserve that. And so when, if, if you deserve something, maybe you think you deserve that woman's watch or man's watch. I didn't see the clip. Maybe you think you deserve it. And this is where we are today. So anyway, what Paul says, let me read the passage I've been referring to. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. I think I said gave the wrong reference earlier. <clears throat> Paul says. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether whether we're present with you or not, to be well-pleasing to him, to Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul says, because we know the severity and the, and the actuality of Christ's judgment, we persuade men. We're, we're trying to persuade people to do what's right. Well, that, that's what I, my point was. Nobody today, or I don't say nobody, and very, we've lost the sense as a society that God is going to extract judgment whether the justice system does or not. Yeah, yeah. sometimes <laughs> the justice system is the least of your problems. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. right? It's the right. least of people's problems. Or someone has lived a life of recklessness and wantonness, ungodliness, and they die. And we say, well, at least they're not suffering now. I'm not sure. I can. I, I know I can't go to the Bible and prove that they're not suffering, suffering now. So I stand there as a preacher of the gospel when people say that, kind of not knowing kind what to say, because the truth is this person is most likely based on their life, although I'm not their judge, and I'm only going on what I can see, which may be inaccurate, but from what I can see, this person's suffering is only beginning because of their godless life and the fact they haven't been saved. That's the irony of people who want to commit suicide. uh, To escape their problems? To escape their problems. I mean, you just exchanged, you jumped out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I, we just got to te- you're exactly right. That old, that's the that's the classic, unfortunately hor- horrifying truth of that saying. Jump from the frying pan to the fire. Uh, John texts in Gar- Gary and says, "Have it your way. We could, we should do. I got I got some notes on this somewhere <laughs> of commercial slogans and how they relate to the gospel. Have it your way, and you deserve a break today." Uh, you know, slogans. The other one is the night belongs to Michelob. That's one that comes to mind. Yep, that's true. The Bible says that kind of wanton, wanton drunkenness belongs to the night. And, and he tells Christians, uh, you need to avoid that or you'll be lost. So there's all these slogans. And I'm not trying to cast aspersion on those companies. I just think it's ironic that in order to appeal, they, they're appealing to our baser, more um, 
frivolous instincts, these slogans are. They're appealing to our selfishness, and maybe that's the whole point of some of these things. <clears throat> and they, uh, they're appealing to the wrong side. The Bible would have some different slogans than, than that, I suppose. But have it your way is what, is what I hadn't <laughs> thought of. You're right. Uh, anyway, maybe I need to get out, uh, get out those notes from somewhere I made. Um, of course, a lot of the commercials, I wrote the notes so long ago, most people wouldn't even remember <laughs> remember the slogans, right? Right. Because uh, they're so outdated. Some of the illustrations, I pull out some old notes. I got on the subject, look at it. I'm using Farrah Fawcett Majors as an illustration, Elvis Presley, and half the younger generation haven't even heard of these people, you know, oh. or these situations. They they don't even know who they are. So I have to figure out how to. So I'll, I've even asked my. Uh, kids or grandkids so who would be the modern equivalent of that somebody i never heard of you know and they name somebody and i'm going blink who's that you know <laughs> you haven't heard of them I, I, sometimes i have i'm not too unwith it but uh, sometimes i have well, I, I think i've got still squirreled away in my email somewhere uh something uh, my sister-in-law sent about uh, you know you're old when and all of these if you recognize all these things yeah, and there, you know, there were about yeah, there yeah, were about yeah. fifty or sixty of them, and I only missed two of them. <laughs> and and they and I know they go back to the mid nineteen fifties at least. Some of them maybe even further back than that. Yeah, and I can't think of, uh, I can't think of, I can't think of any right now. Of course, now when you want to think of something, you can't think of it at all. Um, you know, there's two or three scriptures that we need to consider when you get down to this people today uh gary in the religious world are talking about easter and this being a holiday in christianity and some would say it's the biggest holiday in christianity which is just a derivation of the word holy day the trouble is in the new testament there's only one holy day and that's the first day of the week from what we can see that's set apart as a day of worship for Christians and for taking the communion, the Lord's Supper. But um, <clears throat> we're reminded of when people celebrate a day which we have no authority in the Bible to keep as a yearly holiday, this Easter's, Easter's holiday. Really what I'm reminded of is the judgment day and, and the fact that the resurrection, when God... Um, when God raised Christ from the dead, what's the whole point of that? Well, let me tell you something. The point of that is because man's a sinner, and the consequence of man's sin is death. And so Christ had to die to redeem man from his sin. That's how terrible the sin was. And I'm going to talk in the sermon this morning today, Gary, probably about some of the, some of the horrors of crucifixion itself, part of the sermon. But also what's pointed out is that in this, in this, God resurrected Christ from the dead and gave him a chance, gave him a new life, and he intends to give us a new life. When you give um, what Paul says in Acts 17, verse 29, I, I see the connect. Maybe there's not a connection here, but see what you think. This is a verse you're familiar with. Many of you are where Paul is speaking in the city of Athens on Mars Hill. In the middle of his, well, toward the end of his sermon, it says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we humans, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked when men were idolaters and worshipped little icons and statues and things. The times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So there's another sense in which the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate with Easter eggs and bunnies for some, some reason, from some pagan reason is really pointing us to the second coming and the judgment day. Yeah. And, a sobering and, thought, right? Right. And I'd like to go back for just for our listeners. Uh, please go to Romans chapter 8 and begin to look at uh, verse 11 or maybe even the verses before that. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I mean, that's a promise. You go back to basically Jesus's resurrection is one of the single is I think is the single most important part of the Christian religion. It is. It's the central piece because without the resurrection, the death means nothing. Right. And, in, and in, Paul in talks the about. End. Yeah, Paul talks about the fact that some were didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected, and he says basically, if you don't believe that, you're you're, you're everything's, everything's futile, pointless. And yet it was the most unexpected part of all. He told them, but they were still shocked at the resurrection. It's not really part of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah very much. It's hinted at, I suppose, but nothing you could ever see in advance about the Messiah was that he would be put to death and then resurrected. So it's something that's unexpected, and God did it. And it says here in this verse, and the one you read, that this is the assurance of the judgment day. And yes. also it's the assurance of the truthfulness of Christ's claim to be the Son of God. And without that, without the resurrection, it's all a pointless thing. So I can see how someone could say that the celebration of what they call Easter is the central Christian holiday. I dispute the idea that there's a central holiday. There's no holy days in Christianity, except it's been created by the Roman Catholic Church or human beings. They're not in the Bible as far as that. The only day that's set apart is the first day of the week in the New Testament. All those feasts of the Old Testament that Easter and Christmas are patterned after have been done away with. They're there for our learning, but they're not to be imitated today. You know, the thing that I have to say, and, and I like my Cadbury eggs, and I know people <laughs> like chocolate Easter bunnies, and and probably it's fun for kids to go hunt for eggs in the yard. And when I was a boy, we we dyed the eggs with dye and little wire hooks, you know, and made different designs on eggs and all that kind of stuff. That's all fun. And there's nothing wrong with people having fun, but it's it just uh, almost seems sacrilegious to me. And I know this is a strong statement, especially make on what people would call Easter Sunday. It is that it, it just disturbs me so much that this holiday, as you say, it's a centerpiece, has been patterned after a pagan holiday. It's not even on the right day. And, you know, we don't know when Christ was born, Gary, so you just have to make up a day, December 25th. It's just a made-up day to do the birthday on. I, I can kind of see that logically. Since we don't know the day, never will know the day, we just have to make up a day, right? But we know the day of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's, the day, it's Passover. And uh, yet Christian holiday was established not by the Jewish calendar of Passover, probably because of anti-Semitism, but it was established after a pagan goddess's holiday in the spring. That infuriates me. It's so sacrilegious to take a holiday meant to commemorate the resurrection of Christ, call it your centerpiece idea, and then because of the paganism prevalent in the Catholic Church at that time, make it on the day of a pagan goddess, of all things, and not the Passover, which is in the Bible. It... it just drives me crazy. But go ahead, Gary. I'm well, no, I was just thinking about uh, going back to the idea that, that Jesus was resurrected and basically points to the judgment. And the things that are going to be considered at the judgment, I'm, you know, I know everybody's tired of hearing this, but uh, I'm going to go back to John 12, 48. What does he say? He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So what do we need to be turning to? We need to be turning to the word of God. And, and like you said, I, I was trying to go somewhere, I think it was Friday, mm -hmm. and discovered where I was trying to go was closed. And I'm thinking, yeah, but how is this Good Friday? It's supposed to be connected with Passover. And I don't think it's Passover yet. It, 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 this year it did pretty much coincide oh, with Passover. Oh, it did, okay. This year. But it just varies because it's not set by Passover. It's set by a full moon, of all things, when God warned them about these kind of things, to set holidays by moons and keep days like that. But but anyway, I'm 
Listen, well, uh, uh, that was uh, well, just we're getting happy on. Easter messages through the text, so <laughs> I guess we're on the wrong track here, Gary. And we have a phone call. Are you finished what you want to say? No, there? go go right ahead. Okay, uh, Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, boy. Uh, happy Easter. Thank you, uh, Jerry. Before, I appreciate uh, it. When I used the term ascension, uh, whether we're talking about Maori and how uh, I just wonder if it was about uh, Mary, uh, the Ascension, and I, I listen to all of that. Okay, Mike? Is that okay? That's great, Jerry. Uh, appreciate you calling today. Yeah, the Ascension is a vital part of the gospel uh, that is often, strangely enough, overlooked. The Ascension occurred after 40 days after Jesus' death, after Passover, Christ was on earth after his resurrection for 40 days, and then he was um, taken up into heaven. And Another ascended. one that we can actually calculate the date, I think, from that. From What's that? I think we can get the date of that, too. 40 days? Yes. Uh, uh -huh. And basically, Pentecost is 50, so just go back. Yes, it was 50. 10. Then it was 10 more days from the time right. he ascended until he... Um, until he was taken back up. Yeah. I mean, even Jesus predicted this. Uh, what if you should then, uh, they were complaining about him in John 6, uh, he, about him saying that, uh, oh, what was he said to them, that he would, uh, that the bread which came down from heaven, John 6, 58, uh, so forth, and he, he's that bread. If you take this bread, you'll live forever. And uh, he said that in Capernaum. And then the disciples they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Understand it. And Jesus knew it himself that his disciples complained about this. And he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? So Jesus kind of predicted early in his ministry he was going to ascend back to the Father. They didn't know exactly when, and I don't think they even understood that. But this is part of the being taken up into heaven and seated at the right hand of God is an essential part of the gospel. Muhammad's grave is mourn to this day you can go to the graves of all these other great men and great religious men but there's no grave to go to with jesus christ because he was raised from the dead and he is not only that he ascended to the father he didn't he wasn't raised from the dead like lazarus you know jesus raised lazarus in john 11 and in john 12 jesus has dinner with lazarus and people come to see this they came to see this man who had been raised from the dead What's it look like? What does he like that now he's been he's been dead? Now he's come back. What's he like? Well, Jesus is sitting there in John 12 at this dinner, <laughs> knowing he's going to be raised from the dead, too. But he didn't. You know what? Lazarus lived some years longer. And guess what? He died. He died again. And they actually did bury him the second time. And that was that. But Jesus was raised and he ascended to the ascended to the father. Now, the the, the word ascension, Jerry, uh, primarily is referring to the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father, and you find this in Acts chapter 1. You find him ascending to the Father, and they watched him ascend to heaven, and the man stood there staring into heaven, the angel said, so, so why do you stand here looking? He's going to come back the same way he left. And Jesus told them, go and wait in Jerusalem, and then I'm going to, and he sent him on a mission after that. Now, the Roman Catholic Church the, the, other, um, the other thing he asked about, the Roman Catholic Church, centuries, centuries, centuries after, by the way, this is a side point. This is the kind of thing that we get all the time. Um, I, there, was, I was a, wondering when you were going to get to that. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> when you go to Jerusalem, I saw an article about this week. When you go to Jerusalem like we did, you, you, they have you walk the... Via Dolorosa. In fact, I think we had a call about this some months back. The way of tears or way of sorrow through Jerusalem and the stations of the cross, supposedly these 12 stations of the cross from the place of his condemnation until Golgotha. You go through these things and we walked that route with a guide through this super busy streets in the old city of Jerusalem. And, and, of course, they have little plaques along the walkway or the walkway there, and you stop, and they had little things. Different events happen, like when the woman cried out to him and when he dropped the cross and, you know, and all those kind of things. You know, that Via Dolorosa, is, the people think, is so 
critical to their Bible faith, and they cry tears over it, wasn't actually established until the late 1700s. Right. People think it's something that happened during Christ's lifetime, and that people, early, the early Christians were practicing this, doing crosses and genuflecting on the way of the cross back then. It happened, folks, in the 1700s. And so it's very recent. It's all made up by human beings. And even though I walked it to, to learn about it and saw different things that day, I knew when I was walking it. We don't know at all where this happened and the event and where these places were. It's simply something people made up. Even, now, mo- even most of the sites that they look at, uh, you can't go any further back than about 300. You just don't know, sure. Because you don't know. You don't know. They don't have any idea. Now, and that's probably, and the point is, I think it's for a reason. So people can't idolize it, and yet they still do. Now, now to get back to Jerry's point about this, the Catholic Church then ha- had be, had to ch- change a bunch of doctrines for various reasons. They had made Mary and the worshiping of saints because the pagans worshiped these dead relatives and so forth, and they made them instead of, dead relatives they called them saints they began to worship and honor these saints pray to the saints they took mary and made her into something that she was not she obviously was the greatest of all women but they made her into something that she wasn't made her into a demigod the mother of god and she's now enthroned in heaven eternally and and so you have to have all these doctrines about her a couple of them are her ascension into heaven uh, is a doctrine that was made. There's not a single shred word in the Bible. Or historically. Historically. Mary is mentioned in the book of Acts early as being there at, at the day of Pentecost, I believe, and then that's it. Uh, John took her into his home, and we have no other mention of Mary after that time. She's not, she's not given some special place. We have nothing else about her. And so I think it would be, if you if you do any kind of honoring of Mary beyond honoring her as a faithful saint. You do not have any biblical authority for doing so. You're completely doing that on your own. So don't pretend and talk yourself into the fact that you're doing something for God when you're doing it for yourself. You might ought to clarify that use of saint in that place because well, basically the, the Bible, the what the saint, Bible yes. talks about as saints is not what the Catholic Church talks about as saints. The yes, Bible. all Christians are set apart as saints right. in the Bible, but they, but the Catholic Church sets apart only certain people that meet certain criteria, and then the church gets to establish that person as a saint. That's why you don't hear Gary and I talk about the gospel of St. John and St. Matthew and St. Paul. You don't, Do you ever hear us say that? You don't, because we don't give them a title, because the Bible doesn't give them any kind of a title like that. Uh, pa- Paul was an apostle. But he was no more a saint than Gary or I are, or you are if you're a Christian, because that just means to be set apart for God. Now, they also have Mary because she's considered to be. Here's the problem. When you teach the doctrine of original sin, that is that all people carry the original sin of Adam and Eve. They all carry Adam and Eve's sin. Inherited through inherited physical, through, through physical through, birth. Through physical birth, we all carry original sin. You get to Jesus, and of course, that's true with total depravity. It's taught by Calvinists. Many of you Protestants believe in depravity, total depravity. And it's taught by Catholics in the form of original sin. You have a problem. You have a human being that's a problem to you. Well, first one, the first one you have a problem with is Adam. You have to explain him and how he came to sin, how he wasn't born in sin, and so forth. Then you have to, then you have to come to Christ. He's the other problem you have. So you have to explain away the fact that Jesus Christ was without sin, as the Bible says. And so, therefore, if you have Mary having original sin, then Christ was born with original sin, and therefore he's a sinner. Can't have that. And so the Catholic Church kind of backed up and said, well, Mary doesn't have any original sin. And that's where they came up with the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is a doctrine not not about Jesus, as many people think. Even many Roman Catholics think that. The Immaculate Conception is a doctrine about Mary being conceived without sin. Well, you know what? That's one Catholic doctrine that I agree with. 
<laughs> yes. Don't you, Gary? Yes. I agree that Mary was conceived without sin. And so was Mary's mother. So was Mary's grandmother. So was her great-grandfather. Go so, all the so, way back to the beginning. They so were was, all conceived without original sin. So was each of us today. <laughs> and, and that's my point. We all are. So, yes, the Immaculate Conception is since conceived without sin because you're a human being. I agree with that doctrine, but Mary isn't special in that at all. But now once you get the Immaculate Conception, then you have the latest I believe this is the latest doctrine of the Catholic Church, the latest major doctrine, is the bodily assumption of Mary. They don't call it the ascension, uh, as Jerry referred to. They call it the bodily assumption of Mary, that she was assumed up into heaven. And I, I'm going to look it up here just to make sure that I'm not saying something that uh, I may be wrong in saying. But I believe the bodily assumption of Mary was not established as a doctrine until the 1800s. Uh, A.D. Um, let me see when it says the Bali assumption. Oh, by the way, Mike and I do not use the C.E. designation. We're we're still the old fogies with A.D. Yeah, it was if, built if upon. It was 1854. There was a dogma sent out by the Church that Mary uh, was the Immaculate Mother of God ever virgin, and so forth. So this is the, this is the, well, that doctrine was not proclaimed until 1954, 1950. The actual specification by a pope of this doctrine was not until 1950. Okay, that's 70 years ago. But this has its roots back in the 1854 dogma and so forth. So this is what, so because if she's sinless, never having sinned, then she can't die as such, at least not die without being assumed up into heaven. And so um, there's a bunch of traditions. I suppose there's some older things, but nothing in the Bible that goes back to teach that this is uh some, this is something that was established in Bible times. We find no reverence of Mary in the scriptures beyond the fact that she's Jesus' mother, and he respected her, and he made sure she was taken care of, and she's praised by God like all the other uh, good people of ancient times that were faithful to God. She's praised in the Bible for her life. But do not be caught up in, in the uh, Roman Catholic and some Protestant churches in the reverence, in a worshipful sense of Mary and and so forth. And I suppose that there is a basis to say she's the mother of God in the sense that Jesus is God and she's Jesus' mother. But let me tell you something. That phrase, mother of God, is completely misused and exaggerated by the Roman Catholic Church into something that it is not at all. I mean, the Catholic Church has Mary telling Jesus what to do for people. You pray to Mary, and then Mary will go tell Jesus what he's going to do about it. You know, just like you could go to my mother when she was alive and tell her, you need to get Mike to, you know, be a nicer person. My mother would tell me, well, Mike, you need to straighten up, you know, stop me upside the head. Even when I was a grown man, she would do that. So the point is, no, this is not a biblical doctrine of Mary or Christ. Do you, th you agree with that, Gary? I mean, it's, yeah, it's a yeah, complete this, distortion of it. Uh, it. And so this is one of the ob big objections that I would have with Roman Catholicism as far as the Bible is concerned, is the, what they call Mariology. Well, so, all, the, all they did was move the Immaculate Conception from one generation back to another. Essentially, I think that's what they did. And so where do you stop? How far back do you go? Um, they appear to have moved it from Jesus back to Mary, so they could explain Jesus. And so what about before that? I just keep coming back. Some of this stuff is just not, I'm sorry, it's just not logical to me. So, that, Well, that, that's, it, it is logical in the sense that if you, got, if, if, you, if you think original sin is inherited, well, then you have to do something with Jesus. That's logical because you can't explain Jesus if he's a human, yeah, but without but, having sin, so okay, you have to explain. Okay, but what's the grounds that. for moving it back to Mary? I well, mean, because what's, yeah, you know, I know that that, that that I agree with, except that it doesn't solve the problem. 
In fact, to me, it illustrates the point I made. The yeah, I agree, Mary was without sin, and guess what? That means since she's the mother of the mother of God, what's wrong with being the mother of the mother of God? What about Mary's mother, or the mother of the mother of the mother of Gary? Yeah, that's you know, you point. go all the way back. How many generations do you go back? That's You go all the way back to Adam. So here's the difference. The problem is people have forgotten this simple te- Bible teaching, that sin is a result of what we do. It's about our personal rebellion against God that all of us are guilty of. It isn't about what my grandfather did or what Adam did. See, to to Protestants and to Catholics, sin is about what somebody else did, and therefore it's a corruption of my nature. To the Bible, what I think the Scriptures teach, sin is about me. It's about what I did, not in a selfish way, but in a way that makes me responsible, that sin is about my rebellion against God. So yes, I I sinned, after the likeness of Adam's transgression, I sinned because I rebelled against God, just like Adam did. And just like Adam has to bear the consequence of his sin, which is death, I have to bear the consequence of my sin, which is death. But God, thanks to Jesus Christ, I don't have to bear the eternal consequence of that death. I can be saved from that uh, and so forth through the sacrifice of Christ. So, yes, I don't think babies are born. I had a woman call this week, Gary, want me to baptize her baby. And I know she's upset with me. I told her, no, I cannot baptize your baby because your baby doesn't need baptizing. The Bible says that, that, that we are sinners because we sin. Your baby has not sinned. It doesn't need to be baptized. I'm sure you can find a church somewhere, Port St. Lucie, that would baptize your baby. But I won't. For the, I said, and the simple reason is I don't want you or that child to grow up thinking that it was actually baptized according to the Bible and that sins have been forgiven. Because someday that child's going to sin and it's going to need the blood of Christ. It's going to need to be baptized to be saved. And it'll think it's already done that. And I'll be doing it a disservice by baptizing it now. I'll be doing a disservice to you and the child to make it think that its sins have been taken away by baptism when they haven't. That hasn't even committed the sin yet. She didn't say much. And so, well, what do you think? Was I right to tell her that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's hard because I know I said I know I'm disappointing you and I don't mean to be mean, but I mean, but I want you to say I'm telling you that you're missing the good part. Your baby's not a sinner. Okay. You you might be, and you probably are a sinner, but your baby's not. So you teach your child to grow up, and when it does commit sin, turn to Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness of that sin. That's what I told her. So anyway. It's, it's interesting. Something like that. Interesting that in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24, he says, But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteous man... All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty. And the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. The sin he has committed, because of them he shall die. Uh, He's not going to die because of the sin somebody else committed. Right. Uh, That's that's exactly right. That's just... That comes through in a lot of Old Testament passages. I think there's some more in Ezekiel. Well, we just Uh, read the verse. Each man's going to receive punishment or for good or ill for the deeds done in, in the, the body. body we just read right. the scripture what he's done in his body is going to be what's held he's held accountable for in the judgment day not the sins done in adam's body or some or, or eve's body but his body that's who he's going to be held accountable for for god that's what he's going to be held accountable for. so that's that's what we're <clears throat> that's what's in scripture folks that's not human beings i'm sorry i interrupted you there no no go ahead human beings whether they're secular or religious have spent a lot of time figuring out how not to be accountable for their actions to the religious person they blame adam and eve for their problems and for their quote-unquote corrupted sinful nature that makes them sin that they can't do anything about because they have a sinful nature totally hereditarily depraved which is not what the Bible says. Secular people say, well, it's in my genes. They say the same thing, or they don't blame Adam and Eve. They just blame genetics because we're humans. After all, what do you expect? I'm only human. And and so today people are criminals. We mentioned this earlier in the show. They're criminals because of their environment or because of their genetics. Neither thing that they can control. That's why people do bad things. 
And that's why people act the way they do, because of some kind of uh, we want to study their brain, you know, and put it in a jar and study it to see why they do what they do, because we think somehow the brain is is the one that's the problem. You know, your brain isn't the problem. It's your spirit that's the problem. So human beings, secular and religious, have spent an awful lot of time trying to avoid the responsibility for what they do. I did bad things, I, I, I obviously, but I'm just I'm just going to think back to a time in my life when I was a teenage, late teenager, when I was knew what I was doing, I was grown, wasn't a child anymore, and I did things that were wrong. And and people would look at that, and if I if I say this to people today who weren't there, the, I know that they're thinking, well, your your mother and dad, you know, they they probably didn't raise you right. Look at the home you grew up in. Look at the, you know, they they'd probably be figuring out what my parents did or didn't do. My, how my parents were wrong, maybe the neighborhood I grew up in, the fact that we weren't rich, we were poor, blah, 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 immigrants, and all the, they want to find some reason. I can tell you why I did what I wanted to do when I was young. Because you wanted to do it. I wanted to do it, and I especially wanted to do it because my parents told me to do the opposite of that. Okay? My parents did, are not at all responsible for my, my sins I committed as a young man. In fact, they taught me just the opposite of what I did and what I said. They are not responsible. And, I, you know, human beings wish they were. So I just want you to know, Mom, I know you can't hear me because you've been dead for 15 years, but I don't blame you for what I was. And I know she did. And she, she felt guilty, though. So here's the thing, Gary. As a good parent, her and my father felt bad because of what I did. How did they fail? They didn't fail. I failed. Okay. Yeah, and, but I, I think and even parent, even excuse me, even children who don't have parents who do that are still responsible for their own rebellion. You know, I, I think parents that grow up as the, uh, in their early years, who felt responsible for the things that they did, all have that feeling about their children that they they want to see them do the right thing. And, yes, and, and I and, feel that way about. I think my children's <clears> problems. <throat> I I believe some of my children's problems have come because of my failures. But you know what? Now that they're grown, guess what? It's their failure. They have to figure out what the failure is and do something about it. That's their failure. In Ezekiel again in 33, he says, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of, this, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. And he goes on and talks about the the bad man that becomes good but then he goes on and he says that good man that comes becomes bad or does bad things what's going to happen to him he's going to he's going to fall in that day because of the things that he did he did that's right, right. He did. now i just want to say something before we go on about what i meant and then we're going to kind of come back to jerry's question about what i said about easter a little while ago here because i know people got upset about that probably I'm just trying to get you to think about what the Bible says about these holidays that people get so caught up in. And we had a text here earlier. I make sure I don't go to church on Easter and Christmas. That's because it's the only time of the year. That guy's a real rebel, (laughs) jokingly, (laughs) because that's the only time some people do go. Okay. The church is on Easter and Christmas, and they sit there. And I read articles this week about that. They sit there and uh, uh, waiting for it to be over with, so they can go home and go back to their life. This is what holidays do to th- to, pe- to people. So I have not, we we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're trying to point you to. Well, not is, only that, but we believe that it is the key and the cornerstone exactly, of everything that is exactly. Christianity. And. Later this morning, when we take the Lord's Supper, like we do every Sunday, we're doing that till he comes again, which is proof positive in the way that we do it, that we are looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Let me tell you something, Gary. There's no second coming if there's no resurrection. Right. And so we're talking about the resurrection when we keep the Lord's Supper and and the second coming. Let's point out for certain our keeping of that process, basically the things that we do, are specified and commanded in the scripture that we right. looked at. We didn't just make up that we're going to do communion and how we're going to do it. We're doing exactly how the Bible says. So it's not that we don't believe in these things. We, we've just decided, and I think correctly so, we can defend that from the scripture, to do it the way the Bible says and what the Bible says 
and the way the Bible says to do it at the time the Bible says to do it and not just make up stuff according to our human feelings and traditions and then keep them because the previous generation kept them or, or because we think it's a good idea. That's not how you build a Bible-based religion or what I can defend from the scriptures. And if I can't defend it from the scriptures, then what defense can I give for it? Jesus said, John 12, 48, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's the standard. That's going to be held up to you. That's right. And we talk about this every one of these holidays that comes along. And I know it's probably upsetting to people, but this is a good time to talk about it in some ways because it makes the point. Why are you doing what you're doing from the scriptures? Why? And what basis do you have? And there just simply isn't any basis for an Easter holiday. You can read any historian you want that's of any reputation at all, Protestant or Catholic, and they will tell you that there was no yearly celebration of Easter in New Testament times by the apostles or the or so forth. They just or Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth. Or Jesus' birth. There just no were no. And then what they'll tell you, there were no annual celebrations or holidays in the beginning of the church. But they kept the Lord's Supper. They kept the Lord's Supper. We know historically, early on, we have records, historical records, even by the Romans that they were keeping the Lord's Supper, but not these other holidays for centuries later. Now, here's the key. So to you this. can decide if you want to follow tradition or the Bible. Well, here's the key to this. And I think this is an important key that we miss a lot of times. What Mike said is you need to think about these holidays before you do these things or before you celebrate these things. Just exactly what are you doing and why? Okay, that is not a thought that is limited to holidays. That is a thought that applies to everything we do. Everything, like the lady who called me, and I, I, I did, well, I may have sounded, I, I didn't in any way castigate this woman for calling me and asking me about baptizing her baby. I, I did not in any way, I don't think, except that I told her no, and she doesn't want to be told no. But the, the fact is, she needs to think, think about where did she get the idea that her baby needs to be baptized? Well, she got it from some religious teaching somewhere, someone following some religious some religious teaching that they got, some tradition, I'm trying to say. But she didn't get it from the Bible. In the New Testament, baptism was always administered to adults who could believe. It was administered to believers and those who needed to repent and be baptized. It was it not was, for p- babies. It was administered to believing, repenting, confessing people. people. Yes, yes. So that and so that's why we limit our baptism to that kind of person, which automatically eliminates those who are uh, incapable of understanding the gospel, those who are not responsible, and there are some people like that, and eliminates children uh, f- from that whole basis. Now there's a debate about what age is appropriate and we can have that discussion but they have to be able to understand the sin their their sinfulness and be able to repent and confess and understand the gospel before they can be baptized according to the bible according to different denominations they'll baptize infants and sprinkle water and this is a harm because then people go through their life thinking they've already been baptized when i talk about baptism oh yeah i was baptized i was a baby and my father was one of those people for a good part of his life thought, well, I've been baptized. He was a good man. I've been baptized. He was an infant. But he hadn't done what the Bible said to do, which put him in danger. Now, we got a question, Gary, from the um, text from John about our statements about original sin and and so forth. What about Romans 7.15? Romans 7.15? 7.15. So Paul says here in... um, Roman, we, this is a very complicated, longer context, but let's just focus, for the most part, on the verse that was mentioned. Let's start back in verse 14. For we know, Paul says in Romans 7, 14, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Carnal means fleshly, flesh. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now then, since I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for it is to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. 
And he goes on to talk about the same thing. What Paul is saying is this con is a spiritual battle that battle we all now. First of all, before we go into that, we have to define carnal and spiritual. And spiritual here means that which is attuned, I believe he's saying, in context to the spirit of God, which is the word of God and the spirit of God. And then that corresponds to the spirit in me, which wants to obey God. Part of me wants to obey God. Then there's part of me saying that's carnal, fleshly. I want to do what I want to do. It's not because I have physical flesh, because people who are spiritual all have physical flesh, but they're still, still spiritual. Spiritual means living according to God's will. Fleshly means living according to my own desires. And so human desire is formed from the five senses, the flesh, the touch, taste, sight, you know, those things are what motivate an animal. Animals see something, they eat it. They see something else, they mate with it. They don't have any spiritual gu spirit guiding them for any word from God. They simply do what their eyes and their feelings tell them to do. They live by their feelings. And he says, that's the way, he says, uh, that's me. I, I am sold under sin in the sense that uh, I'm not always doing what I know is right to do. He said, for what I will to do, I want to do what's right, but I don't practice it. And the things I hate, that I do. Well, how can you hate it and still want to do it? That's because we have two natures within us sometimes, two pull, things pulling at us. We have God's will pulling us in a, in a spiritual direction. We have our own flesh pulling us according to our passions, what we want, living by self-will. These two things are at war in people. And so he says, when I do good, it's no longer I that do it, but sin dwells in me. Or when I do evil, meaning that uh, I want to do what's right, but I often do what's wrong. Who hasn't felt that problem? This doesn't mean that I'm totally depraved. If I was totally depraved, this verse couldn't have been written in the Bible. Because here's a man who wants to do good. A person who's totally depraved Doesn't want can't to want to do good at all. In fact, the Presbyterian Catechism says that nothing that you do while you're depraved can ever be good. They're very specific about that, that whole point. And, and so this passage is actually against total depravity in that regard. Paul is saying I kind of get caught between the two things, what I want to do and what God wants me to do. And I struggle with that. And so I have to keep trying to trying to bring out make sure the will of uh, the will of Christ dwells in me. That's the spiritual. That's the spiritual part. He says he sees another law in my members. According to the inward man, he wants to do what's good. Verse 22. But verse 23 says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and so forth and so on. Who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is saying that in his flesh, by his own devices, he serves sin. He does what he wants. But in his spirit, part that's responding to God, he serves God. I think that's the situation that all of us are in. And I don't think that situation goes away as long as we're alive on the earth. It may ch The sins that tempt us may change. But that situation doesn't change. And I don't think this means that we're depraved. In fact, I think it means just the opposite. It means that the Spirit of God can influence me even when I'm a sinner. Even when I'm sinning, it can influence me. And the sin, and also means, doesn't teach what Pentecostals teach that once you receive the Spirit, you can no longer sin. Because here's a man with the Spirit of God in him who still wants to sin sometimes. So now that's the situation I find myself in. What Paul's talking about here, not the depraved situation where I can't even think a good thought and then suddenly this God saves me and now I can only think good thoughts. I don't find myself in that situation at all. You see. So I, I think what what Paul got, is saying got about a minute, Gary. So yeah, there is a need to control what we think. And, and the and Spirit of God through the Word helps me do that. And the Spirit of God through the Word helps me do it. Don't forget what Paul wrote in Romans two. He says, basically, of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, and tribulation, and anguish. 
that still holds true. That's right. Well, our time is gone today. We appreciate the calls, the texts. We thank you very much for, for listening. Hope that you gain something from it that will help you and be served God. And we ask you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Come and be with us this morning at 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday nights. We'd be glad to have you. So may God bless you, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie. This is CBS News on the Hour, your home for original reporting. I'm Vicki Barker in London, in Ukraine. Well, 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 we've done it again.